Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. So as I'm guiltily mowing the lawn because I love mowing the lawn. I'm sorry, I do. But Patty Robertson's got me convinced. I'm going to start small and I'm going to try to build a food forest around the orchard and up the... Now here's the other thing, Patty, is like... We barely have enough water for these trees. Okay, right, deep watering. I can do this. It's going to take less water, I know. I mean, we don't really water over here when August comes. I mean, this grass is tall, but we won't mow the grass at all in August. But anyway, I got on to tell you about the White Homework podcast. So I've only listened to 20 minutes of it, but I've been struggling reading White Fragility for a week now and I'm wondering why did I buy a white book or a book written by a white woman about white I mean I guess that makes sense but I feel like in 20 minutes these girls just hearing their passion and their voices and their honesty and their integrity and the you know their authenticity um if you want a podcast to binge on at least so far like I said I've only listened to 20 minutes of it but I feel like it's the best thing I've heard, um, or at least just a very powerful way to understand whiteness. So I recorded a little thing about white homework, but then I also have been working on this blog post that I wanted to tell you about. So, I mean, I am totally loving Tori William Douglas's podcast, White Homework. It is exactly what I was looking for. Forget reading White Fragility. If you want to know how racism exists around you, this is the podcast to listen to. Tori's authentic, knowledgeable, insightful, and manages to do it with humor and passion at the same time. And I love her laugh. It's almost contagious as Jill Angie on the Not Your Average Runner podcast. I love Jill Angie's laugh too. But Tori is just, uh, it's just so good to hear her. Um, especially when she's talking about such... Um, you know, can be a difficult topic. So, um, in one of the episodes that I was listening to, she talks about imagining what life would look like if we were going to restore justice. Like, and this is something I have thought about a great deal working over with the Blackfeet and just, um, what would we give, you know, what would we do? We'd give North America back to the Native Americans. I mean, I frequently think we should at least give them Glacier Park, um, to the Blackfeet that live here or part of it. I mean, it's just ridiculous um, that we don't. And I'm so glad that they are staying a little bit safer by them keeping East Glacier closed. I mean, the Blackfeet, when um, the psychiatrist or psychologist came in the early 1900s and studied their culture found that they were one of the most advanced societies. Like, and when I see things on Facebook, like they are always doing things ahead of everybody else. They are trying to stay safer. I just feel like we should be learning from them. They're so, I mean, the best teaching experiences I've had. I mean, I learned so much from the teachers over there. Um, but anyway, so she says, you know, what would we do? Would we give North America back to the Native Americans? Would we quit leaving our homes to our children? She talks about how almost all white people plan to inherit their home from their parents. You know, and I'm a perfect example of that. Like my brother, I know my mom's title is sent to my brother and I. And then I know Mike's title, you know, his will goes directly to his kids. 
Um, and that is not something I ever realized was part of white privilege. You know, she says, where would we go if we didn't give our home to our children? What would it look like? She talks about what she would do if she had to give her home. You know, where would she go? Um, so after thinking about it for a while and I was thinking, you know, well, what would we do to start over if we were going to change the, you know, systems in the United States? Like to me, one of the biggest things we need to do, of course, besides gardening is we really need to rethink our incarceration system. And I was thinking about this before I ended up buying her. Um, she actually has white homework lessons that you can go and I encourage you to buy and do the work. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's taking me a while. I've been doing a lot of research and trying to figure out, but even before I saw that, you know, she's got a lesson on native Americans, she got a lesson on incarceration and she has one other lesson so far that are up there. And so I got the one on incarceration, um, but I was already thinking, you know, that is like one of the biggest things we need to turn upside down. I, I don't know where I read it exactly, but someone once said that if we could put every prisoner through a Harvard education, um, for less than the cost that it would keep them in jail. And I don't know if that's really true or where I read that, but it does seem like if we took a lot of the money we spend incarcerating people and put that into the schools and communities, um, we would see real change. Now, to me, the biggest problem in our country is pure ignorance. And so I blame a lot of that on the media. But in a lot of ways, our schools are pretty bad too. I mean, it's just like she's saying, our whole white theory of justice is based on what it looks like through white people's eyes. Um, you know, a lot of times when I tell colleagues, you know, other teachers and people that I'm working with that the average person on food stamps is only on it for six months and they get a dollar seventy two per person per meal. They're like, really? I didn't know that. You know, they think that people who are on food stamps are like lifers and just want to be lazy and don't want to go to work and just want to stay home and collect food stamps and have other people work for them. And that is so not the truth. I've worked side by side next to so many hardworking parents and just, um, you know, I don't know anybody. I have sat on my firmers was like, you could write a story called stories from a sober bar stool. Like I have seen so many drunks and know so many people that, you know, you would think they're never going to go get a job. But when you offer them a real job and a real paycheck, like I know people that are on the cycle of, um, you know, are, are on the cycle of collecting Medicare or Medicaid and food stamps and all that, because they just don't even realize that they could possibly make more than that if they went to work, they just, they have so little confidence in themselves or they just don't even know, like giving people hope that they can provide for themselves a better income and a better life. And that it, if they go to work, they're going to come home with something. And I think a lot of our system is rigged that you can go to work and work and work and not get anywhere. Um, you know, another one that drives me crazy is we can't change minimum wage. The only people who work for minimum wage are college kids or stupid people, people who are too dumb to get a better job. But when minimum wage is $7 and 75 cents or, you know, whatever it is in your state, that means you can pay a manager with a college degree, $8 and 75 cents or $9. And it's just crazy how many people I see working so hard that deserve a, a real wage that have college degrees that just get paid um, because that's what minimum wage is in our country. And minimum wage does not, you know, it's supposed to be providing a minimum 
basic of life, but it doesn't. Seven seventy five is not enough to provide a person, especially somebody with kids. Um, you know, when I worked at Head Start, or maybe they have a partner that they're supporting that's sick or disabled or whatever. And when I work at Head Start, it drove me crazy. They had teachers with no college education. And here's a kid, their first experience in the schools, you're dealing with parents who are struggling, which is another thing that drives me crazy. To me, Head Start is a total example of segregation. We need universal preschool for every child everywhere in our country and everywhere in the world. We need to help every mother everywhere have access to healthy food, clean water, and education pre-K through higher ed if that's what they want or technical college or whatever they want but every mother everywhere you know we need to like value motherhood it would do our society so much more if we would pay mothers to stay home for till the kids are ready to go to preschool and if we have preschool ready when they're at three but for those first three years or that first year even pay them to stay home and take care of the child a child a mother is a child's first teacher it would make our country so much better so much stronger um another one that drives me crazy people telling me why do people have so many children don't they know about birth control they might know about birth control but they probably don't have access to birth control you know we hardly have equal access to birth control in our own country um you know, and another one, people don't have health insurance because they're too lazy to get a real job or to go to college. Like, I'm so sick of Republicans saying, I'm not going to have my money go that I work so hard for going to people who want to rip off their system and just lay on their couch. You know, I just don't really believe that those people exist. Or if they do, they are the few minority. You know, SNAP and all those programs are to help people most of them are working. Most of them are hardworking. You know, nobody doesn't want a paycheck for doing a good job where they are contributing to society and feel good about themselves. I just don't believe that people don't want a paycheck. They, they don't want to support themselves. I just really believe, you know, and I've worked side by side by so many parents that one parent works the night shift, one parent works the day shift, just so their kids can have a parent at home and still have no insurance. Now, some of that might've changed since Obamacare came along and there's a little more insurance options out there. Um, but you know, people want to get rid of Obamacare. I mean, it's just crazy. Anyway, so this is what she talks about. Restorative justice, equal justice. What does justice look like from um, a black person's eyes or from a brown person's eyes? You know, like law and order. The TV show is totally law and order through a white person's perspective only. And when you start to really think, and I did not think about this until I heard her podcast. And this is even after like, you know, learning about white privilege and doing a lot of the study that I did. It wasn't until I heard her saying it and some of the conversations she had with her sister. I think there's only a dozen episodes. You can binge them. I mean, I only heard about this woman's podcast last Saturday. It hasn't even been a week. I've already listened to all of them and I'm ready to go back and listen to them again. And then she also talks about this other, in the homework, she suggests you listen to ear hustle I think which is these conversations with people who are in prison or it's two people that aren't in prison maybe someone from the ACLU I'm not really sure but I started listening to that it's very fascinating about what um people are saying and back in when I was in college in 2003 I can still picture my reading teacher Jan Labonte standing there drawing a circle on the board and and I think about this all the time 
2% of the country are the amount of people who don't understand right from wrong and just seriously belong in jail. Like there's something in their, you know, that they are just not right. But the other 20% of people that are in jail just really need social help, more social services. And that lesson has always stuck with me. And most of all, you know, to me, what leads to people not being successful in life and turning to crime or whatever is a lack of hope. It really comes down to that. And, and, uh, Tori and her guest today, I was listening to, were talking about, um, he was talking about the study in Gloucester. He was from England and they were trying to say that, oh, well, why do black people stab each other? And why do black people, you know, get in gangs and do all these things? And so he was talking about the study in Gloucester, which is like some really white community and they have the same problems there. And it's, it was because, um, oh, there were four things that he talked about, but one of them's, you know, institutional poverty and, um, I think a lack of hope. I'll have to like check that episode out, but, um, you know, I've said the same thing about parents who drink. It comes from a lack of confidence that that person is able to provide the life their children need or deserve to meet their basic needs. So, Enough of my rant. Check out Tori's podcast, White Homework. Support her on Patreon. Order the homework and then do it. Yes, it takes a long time. And again, after you do it, share it with your friends, just like I'm sharing it with you. Oh, yeah. And so I've been writing this blog post. I started this blog post last week, so I'm kind of reading through the blog post that I wrote. And then these were some of the things I added, like things that I've learned so far. Most people in Montana jails are actually pre-trial and won't even be convicted of a crime. Montana has a lot of people in jail, and I don't know if we have criminals from other states because we seem to have a lot of black people in jail, which, um, you know, our population is like 89% white and 7% African um, Native American, so 89 plus 7 is 96, so 4% black, but meanwhile, like, the majority of people in Montana jails are black people. That makes no sense. In the United States, black people make up 13% of the population, but 48% of our inmates. Now, this is from a table I found in 2014. So that is a little outdated, but it's what I had. Um, So the national incarceration rate per 100,000 for black people, 2,306 per 100,000. Hispanic people, 831 per 100,000. And white non-Hispanic people, which is 64% of the population... Only 450 people per 100,000 are in jail. And according to the ACLU, indigenous people comprise approximately 6.5% of Montana state population and yet account for 20% of the men's state prison population, 34% of the women's state prison population, and 20%, 27% of state arrests for failures to appear in court or for probation or parole violations. Um, that's according to an ACLU study, according to prisonpolicy.org. So now this is a more updated thing, um, says only about a third of the 720,000 people in jails on a given day have been convicted since the 1980s. The U S jail population has more than tripled a massive increase in the number of people held before trial or the pretrial population. Um, and Wait, there's two real drivers of jail growth. An increasing number of jails that run a side business, renting jail cells to other authorities, and and the increase in the number of people held before trial, a.k.a. the pretrial population. Um, 
This confinement creates problems for individuals on a short-term basis and also has long-term effects. Research in different jurisdictions has found people detained prior to trial similarly compared similarly to situated peers who are not detained are more likely to plead guilty, more likely to be convicted, more likely to be sentenced to jail, more likely to have longer sentences if incarcerated. These harms accrue quickly being detained pretrial for just three days can impact employment finances housing and the well-being of dependent children in fact studies have found that just three days of detention can make the lowest risk defendants less likely to appear in court and more likely to commit new crimes there's no question that wholesale pretrial detention does far more harm than good um each of these individual harms can accumulate into community-wide harms when large members of individuals in the same community have the same experience. Jail growth fuels cycles of marginalization, poverty, and incarceration, especially in communities of color. And that's pretty much where I'm going to leave you today. Check out White Homework. Give Tori Williams Douglas Pagas... Po- Give Tori Williams Douglas's podcast, White Homework, five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Ask, rate her a review, um, and just do what you can to work for social justice. I mean, the other thing she talks about all the time, punishment doesn't work. There's so many studies she talks about about how punishment doesn't work, and we can do better. Um, so anyway, that's my little two cents today. Um, I've wanted to say something about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter ever since that happened. And um, to me, the best thing you can do is listen to the White Homework podcast, give her a five-star review, share her stuff, um, buy the lessons, do the work. And, you know, like they said, we can't be silent anymore. This is a white person's problem. We need to fix it. And so I hope by giving you another resource, especially a podcast, because you guys are podcasters and I'm a podcaster, um, that you'll like to listen to um, is good. And this is not a perfect episode today, but, um, you know, it's, it's been a week and I feel like it's better that I get it out there than I don't say anything. So um, have a great day. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Even if you're in Montana and it doesn't seem like we need to, wear a mask here. Um, like Allison Janney says on the Kaiser Permanente, uh, commercial mark down every one of those celebrations, every hug you don't get to give every party, every dinner you don't get to have every, and we will make it up. This is not permanent. They knocked out polio. They knocked out measles. We're going to come up with a vaccine. Don't be greedy. Americans don't say, I mean, you wear seatbelts, you buckle your seatbelt. You don't drink and drive. You stop at stop signs. What the heck is the big deal about wearing a mask? Maybe it doesn't make a big difference, but if it does make a difference and you can save somebody's life, what, what, I just don't even get it. So that's my, um, my rant for today. Have a happy 4th of July. Save those fireworks for New Year's. Or as Mike said, he wants to buy some because hopefully we'll be shooting them off on election day. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.